Hey, Nick, welcome to Creators Campfire. Thank you so much for joining me today. Bav, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. I've watched so many of your fantastic interviews. So it's an honor just to be speaking to you as, as it always is in any context. Oh, that's lovely. Also, I feel like I should pay you for that. And I'm going to clip it and post that everywhere. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Nick, can you just explain a bit about what you do at the moment with YouTube and kind of your job? Absolutely. So I work four days a week for a company called Strategizer. Um, and they wrote loads of these really cool books. Like They wrote like five books. One is Value Proposition Design. Um, and another one is kind of Testing Business Ideas. Business Model Generation is their kind of fa- famous, most famous one. And I'm a massive fan of um, the CEO, Alex Osterwalder. So it's like a dream come true to be working with them. And I um, am a content creator making video content, but I'm also an expert in their methodologies. So I get to bring those two things together and create amazing video content about uh, business uh, for them. And they've got like 80,000 subscribers on their YouTube channel. They've got, uh, I think, 40,000 uh, Twitter followers already. So it's really fun being able to kind of use my skills in that context with um, uh, a large audience already. And on the side, so that's four days a week, on the side, um, I'm spending between one and three days a week making my own content for my personal YouTube channel. Uh, So that's a little bit of context about what I'm doing at the moment. Lovely. I love this. I I know I've spoken to you before about like, I love that you do four days uh, on your job and then you've got like this one to three day to just do what you want to do and that way you can focus on YouTube. And I think we've, I'm sure this was you, tell me if it wasn't, but um, being able to work four days instead of five just gives you that extra bit of energy to then go and work on YouTube. So it was you that kind of went, when I had that conversation, that it's like, this is, this is what I need to get to. I like the structure of a, of a, a full-time, like a full-time job or a, a working for someone else, but not being absolutely dead at the end of the week and therefore still being able to spend time on other things. things. How's that kind of work for you? Amazing. And it really came from, um, I've got this book here as well. I, I love how many books you have to hand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Four Hour Work Week, right? By um, Tim Ferriss. Like, I remember reading that years and years ago. And there was a few things, a few concepts in it. But one of them is like, you've got to like, find ways to automate your job or at least reduce the amount of work days that you're working. So that was a huge thing that really resonated with me. And the other thing that it talked about was this idea of you've got to like, increase the amount of money that you earn as well. And so um, what I found was that, uh, well, the question that you asked is how have I found it essential? I, f- I find that it's so much harder if you're working five days a week and creating YouTube content yourself. So by having that extra day, it means that especially now that what I'm trying to do is slightly reduce the quality of my videos so that I can ideally make them and edit them in a day so that then I could actually have a two day weekend potentially because you kind of want at least half a day to do like house admin or life admin, right? Um, yes. And you definitely want to, and you definitely, and you're not going to be able to do um, one video a week for minimum three years if you haven't got a day off as well. So you're going to probably want to have a day off. So that's a day and a half. So you've got between a day, maybe a day and a half that you want to be making your content and to be disciplined. Because I remember watching um, Matt Diavella's video recently where he was talking about the two teams, the British team versus the Norwegian team that were trying to get to uh, the North Pole or I can't remember where it was, but they were trying to get get there like with Somewhere. their sle- sled- yeah. sledges dragging them, right? And the English team were trying to like go super fast and get there as quickly as possible. And they were nearly there and they, neither of them knew where the other team were. 
So they wanted to be the first one to get there. And the the British were like, oh, we've nearly got there. Oh, it's, a, it's super far to get there today, but let's just do it. And they pushed and pushed and pushed on that last day to get there. They got there and then they died on the way back. Whereas the Norwegian, t- so they didn't actually get the record for, for being the first to make it. The Norwegian team went, no, we're only going to do um, a certain amount of kilometers each day. And we're not going to go over that, whether we feel good or whether we feel bad or whether it's snowing or anything like that. We're just going to be consistent. They did that and that's how they managed to make it there. And in fact, they were like quite close to um, uh, like where they were trying to get to, but they didn't exceed that daily limit. They said, no, no, we'll wait because like we're going to do it in this way consistently little by little. And then and what they did was they managed to get there and then come back and they were the team that made it and they were the team that was successful. So I think in terms of making YouTube content, like you can easily go like and spend all your time like way too much time making videos perfect or putting too much time on it each week. But what you need to do is actually say, no, what's my weekly limit of time? And don't go over that because otherwise you're not going to be able to make it over the long term. So that's something that I've applied myself. Such a great philosophy. Yeah. And actually that's one of my favorite stories ever. And I don't know if that's because I was like, I've always just called myself lazy and I'm like, oh, I like the story because it means I don't have to do too much, but actually it is a thing. And it's so true because like there'll be days where you're, I think I can do so much more than this. But then the next day you're like completely dead or like a week later, you're like, I'm just doing nothing. And all of a sudden that consistency breaks and you don't have it versus hang on. I know what I'm doing. I can do it. I will just do that amount and move on. And you build that consistency and you know what you've got to do each day and you turn up and you continue to turn up. So I very, very much love that. But yeah, I like your four day plus one to three day model. Um, and I'm working towards it. <laughs> I will get there slowly. Um, Nick, can you give me a little bit of background um, of like kind of how, wh- where you've come from before you got the job at Strategize and then we'll kind of um, talk about that a bit more in detail as well. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm originally a musician. I studied music at university. Um, yeah, and then I... Um, <laughs> Did not know that. Yeah, so that was in 2009 that I graduated right in the crisis and I was a musician. Um, and I was like, what am I going to do? This is not a good situation. So I, I moved to Colombia because my mum's Colombian and um, she lives here, but I, yeah. I'd never been to Colombia before. So I, I went there, which was supposed to be for three months. I ended up staying for two years because I loved it so much. and. Oh. I started selling, sorry, I started um, running, uh, like teaching business English in these big companies. So I was just fresh out of university, but I was teaching like super important directors um, English. And I was kind of learning about, well, I was trying to make it about business. So I started like looking at Harvard Business Review articles and like reading books about like Latin American business, uh, business people and started saying, oh, what would happen if you did this? Or have you had this approach? And they also were getting me to help them with their presentations and getting them ready for kind of meetings with their bosses in America or whatever. Um, so that was a really interesting experience. Then I, um, uh, well, fast forward a few years later, I did a master's in management and business. And that's where I first started hearing about kind of um, the business model canvas and these types of tools um, created by Strategizer, who, who I now work for. Um, uh, after that, I worked in a big tech company and a big corporate company doing spreadsheets, Excel spreadsheets all day for like two years. Then I worked for a digital agency. And this was kind of like a big shift for me because I was I wanted to learn I wanted to start running workshops because you can make quite a lot of money by running workshops, especially corporate workshops. And I got a job at this company 
um, running kind of like digital training, technology innovation training workshops for corporates. And then I very quickly started like not only delivering them, but also selling them. And that's what helped me do what Tim Ferriss said, which I was able to increase my salary. So I didn't reduce the amount of time I was working for them. I just increased my salary because I went from being a, a workshop facilitator to a workshop facilitator and a salesperson. And because I was the closer you are to the sale, the more money you can make. So I dramatically increased my, 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 um, um, salary massively. Um, and then what I did was working there for that year, almost like as the head of service sales for them, I then, earned enough money that I said, hold on, I'm going to go out on my own now. So I saved enough for a runway to live on my, a year without any, um, uh, without any salary. So then I went on my own and I started um, selling uh, workshops around personal development and also um, doing kind of innovation uh, facilitation, um, kind of uh, strategy consulting with companies and boards, helping them, again, just use the tools that, that strategizer have um, and advising them and helping them map out their strategies. Um, so I did that for a few years. Then I... Um, got a job well i worked three days a week for google running train the trainer on one of their programs and part of that was like how do you run online workshops and that was at the beginning of the pandemic so i helped i helped i created um a workshop for that so i got really experienced with all of this kind of like live streaming and, and, and running like really cool like zoom workshops um and then um i got the opportunity to work with strategizer um i'd been co in communication for a, with them for a long time and um yeah now now i'm in the position that i'm at the moment that is a great career uh, and i have so so many questions of that okay i'm going to take it in chronological order um, and hope i don't forget anything uh, first things first like moving to colombia did you go on your own as well or did you kind of go with your mum? I, I went on my own, but I was lucky enough to have my aunties that I uh, stayed with over there. That's... So I had some, I had a base to go to immediately. Okay, that's good. But that's still incredibly daunting, right? Just just like pack up and move all the way across the world and be like, right, this is where I'm setting up shop. Um, wow. Okay. So it sounds like you were pretty entrepreneurial anyways, because you then figured out a way to kind of get start making money over there and not only that but you've then got in you've realized that you're in with you know the top of the the companies the directors and stuff and you've gone hang on i can make a bit of a uh, an impact here and start talking to them what was that like like how did you go into that mindset wise okay so before going to colombia there were a couple of mindset things that were holding me back the first one was i always felt like it's bad to money's bad and it's bad to be rich um, and um, I'm not the type of person that can be rich. So these are the stories that I'm telling myself. It's bad to be rich. Um, uh, and I'm not the type of person that can be rich. Yeah. So those are two things that I was telling myself. And while I was out there, I had a girlfriend who, um, whose dad was an entrepreneur. And he actually, when he was like, he was born, I think he was an, um, an orphan. Um, and he, he brought, he was brought up, um, uh, I don't know if an orphanage or like by an aunt or an uncle or something. And he had nothing, like he didn't even have shoes to, like at one point, but he went from that to being like this massive entrepreneur who owned like, he owned a whole office building in, um, 
in Bogota, in the capital. And I, I was like staying with them all the time. And I saw the way that he was running business. And I was like, wow, imagine if he can do it. And I, I even went with them to their holiday home. They had a holiday home that was like nothing I'd ever seen. Like it was like golf courses everywhere, like mass swimming, beautiful swimming pools. Like it was just this lifestyle that I saw. Like I saw the work side of it and I saw the cool kind of like, uh, like um, lifestyle-y part of it as well. And I saw that, look, if he can do it with the background that he's come from to be able to do that, it means why can't I do it as well? And so what that did was it opened up my mindset to say, you know what, I I can do this stuff too. Um, you just need to like push yourself and, and really want to do it. Um, and that that was that was um, that was something that I really like from the book, uh, which I don't have to hand, unfortunately. Ah, oh, no. It, um, it's not how good you are; it's how good you want to be by Paul Arden. That book starts off by saying, um, "Not all." Um, I, I don't know if it's not all or. Most rich and powerful people were not born rich and powerful. They became rich and powerful by by wanting to be rich and powerful. Okay. And I think it's important as well, because I'm using the word rich quite frivolously, but rich can be whatever you wanted it to mean, right? It can just be having the freedom to live the life that you want on your terms. And I think if we change that from being like the, um, was it Donald Duck or, you know, that cartoon where the duck's like swimming in the, uh, uh, swimming in the, in the, in a pool of, of gold coins. Do you remember, what's that cartoon? Um, no, not Donald Duck. It's, um, I'm going to have to Google this. That's a good reference though, right? You know, the swimming in the gold coins. <laughs> yes. That's, that yes, that yes. doesn't have to be that impression of rich. It can yes. be just you being happy um, and being free, having the freedom to do what you want when you want to do it. Like that, I think that's a good mindset shift. That I think it's important for everyone to, to take on. Um, sorry, I've got, I've now got distracted with gold coins, um, but I don't have the answer. Um, so oh, we'll, we'll, we'll stop that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> If anyone knows the answer, we'll let us know yeah. in the. Co- if you know the answer, yes. let us know in the comments below, please. Yes, please. That's, that's a good. Job. But no, actually, that's that's really good because I. Um, I was about to say I'm the type of person I've really told off for saying that so many times. But yeah, my natural mindset is very much like native. Or you can't do that. Or you're not the type of person that does that. Or you're the type of person that does something else. And I'm very much working on that and trying to change that. And you told me at the start to, to change my mindset because I was like, oh, I hate introductions. He was like, no, no, uh, which, which I thought was great. And it's so true that just those small kind of things make such a difference. Um, but that, that's very, very cool. Um, okay. So uh, the next piece I kind of wanted to pick up was... Um, no, I've forgotten what the actual next piece was. So we'll, we'll go to, to um, the Google stuff. Um, at, no, sorry. I know exactly what it was. So you've set up shop as your own kind of like you've decided to go out on your own um, after building the knowledge of how to run workshops. What Again, what's that like? Like, what do you think? It, like, I guess the great thing is that you just set up a year's runway. So you obviously planned it and had done very well and kind of gone, okay, this this is exactly what I'm doing. But what was that actual like year or two like? Or what was it like starting that? when you first went into it? So what was really interesting was that I very quickly actually managed to get American Express as a client and run workshops with them. And what was really weird was that I'd just been selling for another company and it was so weird having that first like client meeting with American, like someone at American Express. And I was there just going like, hold on, I've been doing this for another company 
and there was no difference in doing it for myself. But now I get 100% of the revenue, not, <laughs> yep. you know, a small percentage of that revenue. So um, what I found was that um, I'd built up um, the experience of how to sell, which was, and especially when you're selling workshops, you just need to like be, well, start close to home. Who do you know in companies? Yeah. Speak to your friends, your family. Who are the people that are closest that would kind of represent you and see if there's um, an in to one of these companies? Speak to those people first. And then at the same time, be spent sending out lots of messages to people, but not in a salesy way, just in a conversational way to see if you can start conversations, like to find people that have the problems that you're trying to solve through your workshops. Um, so yeah, I just spoke to um, friends and family first. And that's how I got an in into um, American Express. Um, and then I just started doing a workshop. And then because I did so well in that workshop, um, and it had such a big impact, another someone from a different team that happened to be, to be in the workshop went, oh, could you do that for my team? And then someone went, oh, actually, I, I need to do that. And it just kind of spreads, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think the key thing is just to make sure that you, if you're going to start on your own um, for starting a business, is don't be a, don't feel like you need to go on LinkedIn straight away to message people. Actually, you need to speak to the people that are your your biggest advocates and those are your friends and family and make your friends and family your salespeople because those are the best salespeople that you can get and they're working for free for you. That's a very, very good point. Yes, I like that. Um, okay, so you've kind of hit it big with American Express. During your couple of years doing it, um, was there ever a time where you were like, oh crap, like this wasn't the right thing to do or you're going through a, a period where maybe you don't have the clients that you expected or wanted? Yeah, absolutely. Within about two months of going um, on my, out on my own, my dad had um, open heart surgery, right? And yeah, and he was actually, he. this was at the moment when the NHS was really struggling. Um, there was like, it was massively in the news. And um, he had to wait in a hospital um, in the Southwest, because um, uh, that's where he lives, uh, for a month, waiting to be able to get his surgery. And so we were just waiting. Um, so I was having to travel from London back there constantly back and forth to check that he's okay. And then he kept, managed to come up to London because that's where he had to have the surgery. And then I was constantly helping out. So it was probably about two or three months of like not really being fully dedicated on what I was trying to do, but also not actually earning that much revenue um, yeah. at the same time. So that was a massive thing where I was like, oh, I just saved all this money and uh, oof, I didn't expect this. And also when you go out on your own, your family and friends think you're not really doing anything as well and that you're more you're more freely available to support which was nice because I was but I also kind of wasn't so um that can be a thing that I don't think people tell you about which is that that they'll try and rope you into other stuff and so the most important like in that case of course it was not the time to say no that was the time to say yes and to help for sure but in other contexts, there are so many other contexts where they'll try and pull you out of what you're doing to try and help them. And you're, you're, in that time, you need to say no to everything unless you think there's an opportunity that it could, or it could turn into some kind of opportunity. So you need to really be careful with your time and say no to everything in, in that early stage because there's so many other things that can pull you out. Um, and yeah, with sales, it goes up and down. So what you've got to do is you've got to bear in mind that you've got to know that you've got a funnel, right? You've got to know how many people do I need to be speaking to every day? And then from that, how many like calls, do, like 
sending messages, for example? And then how many calls do I need to have every week? And then how many kind of like pitches do I need to have? And then how many kind of um, uh, uh, sales proposals do I have to have sent? And then how many from those, how many kind of like agreements, sales agreements that they say, yeah, let's go for it, I have to have. And so you need to work out what your funnel is. And probably if you've got a problem at the bottom, it's because you haven't spoken to enough people at the top. Um, so you need to be spending, sending out a lot of messages or speaking to a lot of your, your contacts um, to be able to build up enough people at the top so that you get enough people at the bottom. Same with YouTube. You need to have enough people watching your videos at the top before you can start um, a, a course, right? Because if you haven't got enough people then it's it's not going to work a hundred percent yes nick you are so wise i'm learning so much on this this is wonderful um okay um i guess fast forward then you're now working for strategizer which i think is a very cool story in itself um if i remember correctly from when you told me before so you'd obviously when you started working for them had been in contact with them for a while as you said but what was that kind of journey like between you know finding stumbling upon their books and then starting up that conversation to actually going and working for them yeah, so I um, I first heard about them when I was studying a master's in management and I first heard about the business model canvas. And then uh, when I was working at this digital agency, um, someone said to me, oh, there's this really cool workshop happening um, this evening. Do you want to go, go there and check it out? And it was run by Alex Osterwalder and it was all about... Uh, this book, uh, Value Proposition Design. This, oh, this changed my life. This. I'm glad you flipped that because I thought that was I thought that was me. I was like, are my eyes going funny as the camera flipped? What's What's interesting with this book is the other side of it is also a bit funny because it said like bad Value Proposition Design. This is what you don't want. You want to flip the book around and do it this way. Genius. So good Value Proposition Design. Um, this helped me understand much better this concept of jobs to be done. Because often we get really focused on who our, who our target customer is. But actually, and there's this, like, I've seen this meme on LinkedIn go around, where it's like a uh, white British 50-something-year-old uh, man um, uh, likes living in castles, um, you know. And that could be Prince Charles, but it also could be um, Ozzy Osbourne. So it's like the same, like... So something's not right. Like I'm not saying that you shouldn't do customer, um, you shouldn't do a profile of your audience, like audience member, but it, it's not enough. What you also need to understand is what is their job to be done, because then you can have all different types of people, but they have the same job to be done. Which is the what? There's so many different ways that you can explain this, but what is the the progress they're trying to make? So say someone's going on on YouTube. What is what are they trying to make progress in in their life? What are they trying to achieve by watching your videos? You know, and if you run tutorials, it might be a lot easier because it's much more specific, right? But if you're a lifestyle vlogger or something like that, the job they're trying to achieve, or maybe they're just trying to actually do the cooking and they just want to feel like something's going on in the background. Or, you know, if you're like a personality YouTuber, they just feel like they're your friend and they just want to be around you. So, like trying to understand why are people going, why are people doing this thing? Why are people watching your videos is, is a really important thing, not just working out who they are and trying to profile them. So that, that's what I learned through that book and through that workshop. Um, and, and it just blew my mind because there were so many other things that I learned. But after that, I then signed up to their email list. And um, about three years later, they sent an email saying we're looking for volunteers because we're running another workshop, a masterclass for two or three days. And so I signed up for that. 
And that's why I started getting closer with the team and um, starting connecting. I just worked so hard, always worked super hard for free. So I worked really, really hard for free with them. And then they remembered me and then they, um, I came back the next year and then I k- built the connection even more. And then they started saying like, um, uh, I wanted to find out how I could become a strategizer coach right? And they said, okay, you're going to have to come here again, but you're going to have to pay this time as a participant. So it was like 2000 pounds or something. I said, okay, done it. So yeah, I went into it that way. And then I built up my connections more with them. And then, um, then what I did was I started making videos about their content and I shared it with them. And then they started seeing it and go, this is interesting. And they said, oh, let's speak to this guy. So I spoke to them and then they said, do you want to make, do you want to try it? There's a specific video that we'd like. Do you want to make it? And I said, yeah, and I'll do it for free. And they were quite uncomfortable about it. I said, no, no, I'm going to do it for free. And I put as much effort as I could into it. I did it and they gave feedback. And then I'd redid the video and did it again and then shared it with them. And then they loved it. Um, by doing that free work, I think that's essential. What you want to do is find a company that you want to work for. And then find ways to kind of grab their attention by, I think a lot of people here are watching you, like are YouTubers, right? So they know how to make videos or, or are aspiring YouTubers. What you could do is you can even use your phone, start making content that will attract the people that you want to speak to. Cause sometimes you don't need millions of people to see your video. You just need one person to see your video. And in that case, um, the CEO saw my video. Um, and, and that's how we, we were able to then kind of like say, ah, oh, like he could see that there was something that I could offer him that would help. But then once he saw my value and I, I did that for free, I was much, the the problem is, is that your risk is quite high in the beginning because they don't know that you can achieve for them what, what they need. By doing it for free and showing them for free that you're the person to work with and that you're easy to work with, that reduces the risk. But then what that does is that can increase your potential salary. So that's where I was able to then, you work for for free or you work very expensive. That's how I work. I'll do stuff for free. I'm happy to do free work, but I won't work for cheap. Yeah. Cause when you work for cheap, people that start like, I don't know if you've ever done this, like, especially when you go out on your own, like if you do a job for, for uh, like a lowest value, the person doesn't care. They're not even thinking about that. They've gone, I've paid, I've paid this person needs to do it. And so imagine you're doing like I've never done this, but I think this is a good example. I imagine you're doing like wedding photography or wedding video and you do it for, for, for cheap value for a friend. They're going to be trying to get everything out of you and you're going to be like, oh, this is a nightmare, right? And I'm not getting paid enough to do this. And they're treating me like I'm getting paid loads. So what you want to do is you are, if you do it cheap for that wedding or that, that photo, those photos, you can give as much as you want to give and say, no, I've done enough. This is all I can do because this is my, my threshold, right? Whereas, or you do it super expensive and you do it to the best of your ability, but you don't want to be in that middle pit, that middle part. So that's what I did. Do the free part first. And then once you've shown them that you're a low risk, you say, look, I'm expensive. And that's what I'd recommend for anyone trying to work with brands and particularly with their dream brands that you do that approach. That's, uh, I, I love that. I think that's so cool because you're right. The Like the cheap thing, uh, people will take advantage and you kind of just like, you do, you have those thoughts of like resentment or like, I'm not getting paid enough for this or why am I doing this? And then you start to hate it. Whereas when you're doing it for free, you have a bit of freedom. You're like, oh, this is, this is kind of nice. But you're right. You then get to pitch yourself a much higher price and you say, hang on, this is me. And you've proved yourself, um, which is very, very cool. How did you, like, I'm coming back to mindset a little bit. Like, how did you, like, because all the theory is great, but actually in practice, that can sometimes still be difficult because you're like, 
well, how much is expensive? Like, where do I put this? And, and am, am I comfortable with this? Or am I charging too much? Like, how do you still go about getting over those kind of thoughts? Uh, there's two things that come to mind. The first thing is that you've got to understand if you're, um, uh, are you willing to walk away from the deal? If you're not able to walk away from the deal, that's not a strong position to be in, but because you need the money, right? And in the early stages, you might just have to, you just take what you can get, right? Um, whereas later on, what you, what you realize is that sometimes those small deals can take up so much of your time that you then don't have time to then look for the next deal, um, or like be able to have enough time to actually invest in the people that are paying you more money, right? So, um, the other thing is that, uh, so that's the first point. Um, work out if you're willing to walk away or not. Because if you're willing to walk away, you can be much more like strong about it and less like worried that you're going to lose that money. The second thing is that um, every time you you um, pitch or every time you like, um, yeah, every time you pitch a new customer, you increase your price from the last time that you did it. So if you're doing workshops for £800, and then you sold it and they didn't say anything about price, then next time it's 1200. And then you just keep going until they say, oh no, that's too much, yeah? So you just keep increasing your prices until people say no. And and actually I'll give a bonus tip um, here as well. Oh no, I can't give the bonus tip because <laughs> I just fought it, forgot it. <laughs> that I was, so, I was like on the edge of my seat. I was like, yes, I am ready for this bonus tip. <laughs> What have you got, Nick? <laughs> so the, the okay. first one was make sure you're willing to walk away. The second was increase the price. That, oh, the third one was a good one. Hopefully it'll come suspense. back to me as we come okay, through. Okay, yes. The, yeah. We'll be halfway through another question. You'll be like, I know what it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. eagerly awaiting that third tip. Okay, so uh, just, just a quick question before we kind of carry on. Were you, when you kind of joined Strategizer, were you already on a four-day contract um, when you joined or was that something that you've kind of um, got to over time? Yeah, we said that we wanted to do, I said I wanted to do between three and four days to start. And I think that suited them as well, because I'm working as a contractor. I'm not an employee. So it brings benefits. Well, that increases my, my, the money that they pay me, because um, it's more expensive to have employees, like there's other stuff that they have to do. So um, yeah, we started at three days, three to four, we said, and then we've built up to four, because it's like, they just need the, they've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, so YouTube, I guess uh, during that story, you said you created the video specifically for Strategizer. Um, what was that like kind of kicking it off? And did you ever think you'd like go beyond the, hey, I just need to tick this box to get into this company? So, sorry, uh, say it again? <laughs> that's cool. Okay, so um, you obviously started YouTube to make these videos specifically for Strategizer and to kind of, put yourself in a much better position so that you could be hireable and employable. Did you ever think that it, you would want to do YouTube beyond just um, those videos to get the job? Okay, cool, cool, What was cool, your cool, approach cool. To, to, to starting YouTube? Yeah, can I, get, can I go back a step now? Because I think there's a bit missing of the puzzle, okay, which was yes. that um, when I was at university um, doing my master's in management, there was this guy called um, Thomas Power. And he came and did a talk at the um, at our university. I remember actually the head of the course going, he was really expensive. Um, but he was really good. He was really good. He was really good. Um, workshops, I'm telling you, they're expensive. Like talks and like, yeah. you can make a lot of money from doing this. So YouTubers, I think, should be doing this more. Um, 
he came to the talk. It was fantastic. At the end of the talk, he said, look, um, I put my phone number on my LinkedIn and on my Twitter. It's open. Anybody can call me, but no one ever does. And I bet none of you will. Okay. So I remembered that and that was in 2012. I went out on my own. I think it was in 2018, right? That's when I started going out on my own. And um, I remembered it. So I picked up the phone and I said, hey, Thomas, uh, you did a talk at university, at my university six years ago. Um, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm just calling you now. And what I wanted to get on that call was some contacts because he, he had a massive network. He started like a LinkedIn equivalent before LinkedIn, but it, but it was paid. Yeah. And then when LinkedIn came in, because it was free, everyone left his network, right? But he has a huge, he knows so many people. I... Um, called him up because I was trying to get some contacts to be able to sell workshops. He was having none of it, none of it. Like he gave me this kind of like um, impromptu unsolicited coaching call um, on like, as I was talking to him and actually was a bit aggressive with me. I was like, whoa, wow. Okay. <laughs> but in a positive way, trying to help me though. Yeah. And what he said to me was he said, well, he is Jay Shetty's mentor and Jay Shetty, I think at least a couple of years ago when I last looked, was um, had the most is the biggest creator on Facebook. He had his videos had the most views. It was like two billion views, wow. um, and he mentored him in like his journey of making videos. And he said to me, Jay Shetty made one thousand videos in three years. That's what you need to do. And I was like, uh, can I just have some phone numbers? Can can, just some phone numbers that'd be good that'd be no he's like i'm not giving you anything like you just gotta make videos and then i ended up after the whole thing happened with my dad um i i was part of this community called the happy startup school and they organized a trip to india okay and while we were in india um i met a guy called kim slade and Kim Slade runs this thing called Touch Video Academy. And he teaches people how to make videos just using their phone. Oh, look, part-time YouTube Academy I've got on there as well. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> nice so little sales pitch for us. <laughs> on, yeah, exactly. So um, I started with the Touch, Touch Video Academy, r learning how to just make it on my phone. And that was great. And then what I did was um, I started just making for videos on my phone for about a year and a half. Um, and it was that then that kind of like, because of what Thomas Power said to me, make videos, uh, make videos. Then I started doing it. And I, I'm a massive fan of um, The Six Thinking Hats by Edward de Bono. And so that was the first video that I made and posted that on my channel. It's still there. And I got um, Kim to help me make it. Um, uh, so yeah, then then I did that. Then I... I I was, as you say, I was focusing more on then not making videos and posting them on YouTube to get a big audience. It was more because I was using them in specific ways to kind of help me sell my workshops. So, and I haven't really heard anyone talk about that approach to using YouTube more as almost a portfolio. Because when you're selling workshops, I'm talking about concepts. And if I tell you about the six thinking hats, it doesn't sound that interesting. But if you can watch um, a video and then see the concepts and almost I'll give you away for free what I'm going to tell you in my workshop, but just make it really good. Then people watch it and go, yeah, I could actually like a head of HR or someone or someone in, t in charge of a team go, well, I could just copy what Nick did and just deliver it to my team. 
but it looks like a lot of work actually still. I'm just going to get Nick to do it. So I'd send, make the video on the concept, send it to them. Then they could then like, um, watch it and then they'd make it much easier for them to decide to just pay me to do it for them. So that's how I was using it. Nice. That's, that's actually very cool. You're right. That's a really good approach, um, to kind of leveraging the YouTube platform, uh, to take the boxes, but you obviously carried on after that and you're still making YouTube videos today. So somewhere along the line, I assume you fell in love with YouTube. Um, what happened and how come you kept going? I would definitely say it was the, the part-time YouTuber Academy was massive. Um, and I'm still so impressed just with how um, Ali has created a whole smooth functioning organized company i think massive part of that is you as well but like you know uh, i've heard Take such it. fantastic things about how you've helped systemize so many things uh, and make everything so organized so it runs like a smooth like i'm sure it actually doesn't feel like that inside the company at the moment but from the outside and in terms of best practice i think you are really like like running so smoothly um which is really exciting and um yeah, do, do, doing the part-time YouTuber Academy, it made me realize all these things that are involved with um, creating a successful YouTube channel. But the most important thing, I think, was just you've got to make a video, at least a video a week, every week for two to three years minimum. Um, and that's what I'm just trying to do. You know, I've, um, I've been pretty consistent. Like, I've, um, sometimes I think I've had a few, like sometimes I've had a few points where I've dropped off, like for a week or two weeks or three weeks, but then I've got back onto it. And that hasn't happened often. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty pretty pleased with how I'm going. Yeah. Have you, how far are you away from the thousand videos, Mark? And are you going to um, go back to Tom? <laughs> uh, I'm quite far off. Like I'm not, cause at the moment, if I'm making a video a week, that's only like 52 um, a year. So I've got to do a lot more than that. What's quite interesting though is, and I'm managing to, to do this for strategizer. I'm managing to take what I've done is a 10 minute video. And from that 10 minute video, I think I've made already 18 videos and I'm probably going to make at least 20 or 22 um, as a result. And if I were to do things like that, that would help me hit my personal 1,000 videos a lot quicker. But this is the, the trouble because you've, you've only got so much time at, when you're doing this on your own. And you've got to identify what, what can you do? What's, what's the low-hanging fruit? For me, it's like just one YouTube video between probably more than two minutes, but minimum two minutes and kind of like 20 minutes long. And just post those. And then if I can get a good thumbnail, get a good title, um, don't have to do so much B-roll, but that's my minimum. And then if I've got some more time, I can do some other stuff. But often it's difficult to fit much more in. Yes. Uh, I think you're in a very similar position to me with, with the podcast in that like the long form content goes out like that is pretty consistent now. Um, but yes, obviously to help growth, it's socials or, you know, you know YouTube shorts or whatever. And it's turning that the, you know, the Gary Vee concept of turning that long form content into lots of smaller chunks of media that can go out. Uh, so selfish question. Um, are you currently just doing all that yourself? What's your approach with it? And how is it looking for you? Yes. So I'm doing very little is the short answer to that. Um, <laughs> I've both? got the long form, I've got the long form pillar content, but one thing that I have done, which I think Ali's doing a fantastic job of, and I got some really good feedback on my last video. So on my last video, what I did was I did a business model breakdown of the creatorpreneur course that, um, Ali's created and the team's created. And, and as part of that, it takes a little bit of time just to map out the business model on a canvas. But once I've done that, 
there are nine well in that in that case i I used eight of the nine points and it's easy because then you've got like bullet points that you can just talk through um and so what i did was i talked through it on on the video and because i'm quite comfortable using the model it was quite easy and free-flowing once i'd mapped it out and put it onto my on my on my keynote and then put it on my ipad and did a top-down shot and then had the front shot i was able to jump between the two quite nicely but then what i did was i just um as i was posting it everywhere i just wrote out in in sentences like what what i'd said through with the canvas so i said the the value proposition product the the customer segment the channels the type of relationship the rev types of revenue streams the key resources the key activities the cost structure and i just said what each of those were for ali for the creatorpreneur course but then what i did was i posted that um, on social media in some of the communities that I'm in, in, in the PTYA community. Um, I posted it there with the link because what I found, and Ali's doing this all the time with tweet threads, because I used those and put them in a tweet thread. If some, because it's quite a big commitment because most people don't know who I am, right? Um, I think Grant Cardone said this, the biggest problem that you have is that people don't know who you are. If people don't know who you are, how can they buy from you? Right? And so, um, it's actually quite a big commitment. Even though I'm making, I think, some really high quality content that has a lot of value in. Mm-hmm. If it's like, even if it's four minutes, it's a lot to commit to that. So what I did was I was writing, I wrote out that script. Well, not a sc- you could use your script actually. If you if you do a script, I don't. But if you do, you could use that and then put that into a tweet thread. Um, I uh, wrote it out, put it into a tweet, and then. Um, people said to me afterwards, after reading that, I couldn't help but watch. Five people said that, that roughly. So I think I might do that more often where I try and write out in more detail. It took about 10 minutes extra, but that was a very low friction way of um, uh, kind of doing the long form pillar content without doing the having to chop it up into videos and do like that stuff, which is going to take more than 10 minutes. Yeah. I wish I could do a tweet thread in 10 minutes. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of me ever writing anything. Uh, but no, but I think cool. you could if 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 you've just recorded the video mm. and when it's fresh in your head, yeah. you've just got into a, gone into a stream of consciousness and you've just edited it. So you've heard yourself do it. Yes. So that should be all you need to do is imagine you're talking to a friend and just write out what was the rough idea and allow yourself, as, as, Ali, as I learned from Ali, but I can't remember who the um, originator is, you've just got to allow yourself to be fast, bad, and wrong. Yeah. 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 With your I writing, agree. so you just knock it out. Yeah. Yeah, I should absolutely take that advice. <laughs> uh, follow-up selfish question. Would you ever consider outsourcing the social side, given that you don't have a lot of time for it? And if not, why not? Yes, I would consider it. The reason why I haven't at the moment is because, and it's the same with the video um, editing, which is that, um, yeah, you can get a video editor really easy for like $25, I think. You can find people to do it. But I've done that before. And um, it's not that they were a bad editor necessarily, but I wanted them to do it in four hours because that's $100 or £100 um, a video. And that's, that's probably my max budget, but it wasn't, it wasn't good enough for me from, from, I wasn't happy with, with, so it's a hundred pounds. Again, it's cheap. I expect I want it. I'm not paying a lot, 
but I want it to be really, really good. As the client, this, I flipped it around this time, so I want more than what's actually what is what I'm being what I'm paying for. Um, so I wasn't that happy uh, with the quality. Um, so that's what, and I find that, and th- and then that person I felt would need a lot of training to get better. But then they said, to, like I could sense that they weren't in it for the long term. So you need to, when you're finding someone, you need to find someone that you feel like if you're going to have to train them quite a lot, which you will, um, for the price that you probably want to pay, you need to feel like they're committed. And I haven't found that yet. However, which is really interesting at the moment is, um, uh, I've started working with my girlfriend and she's like really interested in, I say working, I'm showing her this, like, YouTube and video production and she's starting to get really interested in it so she's starting to help me out with it a little bit um and this is interesting now because this is like if she's enjoying it and I'm really trying not to like push her then this could be amazing because then like she's already started helping me a bit so this is a a, a massive opportunity because this is someone that like hopefully is very long term (laughs) and uh and um (laughs) Like, like you can then work with rather than it being remote as well. She's helping me right here, which is really, really cool. That's that's actually very cool. Okay, yes, that's the best solution. Okay, need to figure that one out. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. There, there is obviously the when, when you go out to hire someone, you you do have to put in the effort, and I think there's very much a um, a kind of mindset of like I just put an advert out and I find someone and if they're not good enough that's that or if they are like there's an expectation that they're just going to do it and that there'll be no kind of training but you're right I think you really do have to train them so to bring someone in yeah kind of at the lower levels um or the 25 pound an hour is still is still a decent amount um at least from my point of view um then yeah you kind of want them to almost grow with you as your channel grows as you grow and kind of be there by your side as uh, and be there for a bit more for the long term so that that makes a lot of sense um, agreed with that. And I, I think it would work better if you're slight, if you've got a bit, if you've got a bit more money. Um, so the money part is less of the problem, but also, but then you're, so if your money is slightly higher, but your skill is lower, then I think it's worth investing in trying to pay someone else to do it. But actually I want my skills to be quite high and I actually enjoy the process quite a lot. And I feel like I get a benefit from Every video I get better. So I can then use that for my work with Strategizer as well. So I'm not I'm not that hungry I'm not that quick or hungry to to switch to to outsourcing it. Um whereas I think other people that maybe just uh, want to get into the process more I want to get in the process of producing a lot of videos very quickly, then maybe it could work for them especially if they're not as worried about the details. Um they just want to get it done. But I I feel like more of an art because you've got the kind of uh, business person and the artist and sometimes I feel like I want to be a bit more of the artist where I'm making stuff that I'm proud of and I go to sleep like I'm proud of that and it yeah. even if like not as many people watch it but I'm proud of it I think there's something that's about that's important as well that's an element that we need to think about sometimes yeah I yeah I couldn't agree more with that I think that there are definitely two kind of mindsets when approaching so Ali, as we spoke about, is very much the business mindset. That's not to say that he doesn't want to be proud of his videos, but he's very much a, like, this is my business, this is how I'm running it. But yeah, there are people that just want to do, like, it sounds like you, that just want to do it because there's actual joy in the process. Um, speaking of, though, so do you have, because of that kind of way you look at it, do you have any YouTube goals? 
um, like, is that what's sustaining you? Is just that you want to upskill in this and get better? Or is there a kind of, hey, I do really want to, you know, hit X or do Y or whatever? Um, yeah, I believe that all... The, so I believe that everyone should be taught all these business tools that Strategizer um, has created. I think that if, if everyone in the world knew about them, I think the world would be a better place because we'd be creating much more businesses, much more sustainable businesses, um, um, and we'd be doing it in a much better way. But I believe as an individual, as I say, if nobody knows who you are, no one can buy from you. So I think almost now we've, the, the economy's changed or the way that business works changed. Before, um, you know, in the industrial age, you used to make a teapot and then kind of go, oh, let's find some people to buy the teapot. Whereas now what you do is, especially if you're Heinz, I think he's about to make a tea range or something, right? Um, I love that guy on YouTube. He, he's got an audience and now he can go, I'm going to make some teapots, right? Or he can change that and make it any other product that he wants that meets the needs of his audience. So, but the problem is that business cannot exist if you don't have the audience. So you must then start first by building your audience. Then you can create products and services that you can sell to them. And I think the business models that can come out of the creator economy are fascinating, exciting, um, and can be really, really powerful. So if I, I could describe myself as a business coach, if, if I'm a business coach and I believe that first you need an audience, then you can monetize that audience. Well, I better grow an audience then and, and walk, um, walk the talk. So what I'm trying to do is build my audience and show people that it's possible. Um, and then I'm excited to see what business models could come out of it. But I'm very much employing the jab, 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 right hook from Gary V. Where I'm trying to do everything for free as much as possible for as long as possible because I'm not I'm not desperate for the money at the moment because I'm working with Strategizer. However, the the mid to long term is definitely that I want to grow my YouTube channel and maybe be known for um, business models in the creator space. That would be something that I'm, I, I'd like to own because I think that's something that I can be the best in the world at um, specifically. Um, but I'm just trying to, I'm still not, I haven't found my create my content market fit yet where I'm making content that the, the audience really wants. I, I'm still searching for it. Yeah. Nick, and not that it's a, like an end goal it's kind of it's constantly it's a moving target but i haven't haven't quite yes. got that first one yet yeah 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 no that that makes that makes a lot of sense um just i i guess final question is um kind of about the books um and how they have helped you on your youtube journey and if there are specific books that you would recommend so if there's aspiring youtubers or youtubers that are watching this now that are kind of like wow this sounds really cool i do want to kind of grow youtube into a business or i want to be more business focused um is there something that they should go and pick up? Can I um, go against that slightly? Because I love books and I've read a lot of books, but I'm actually trying to read le fewer books now. Okay. Because I feel like if you want to start a YouTube channel, you just need to pick up your phone and start recording yourself. And if you're reading a book, you're probably procrastinating. So, so don't read books pick up your phone, start making videos and start with where you're at. And actually, whatever you're doing, like just make a video about it. And if you're going to read a book, only read the book to make a video about it immediately afterwards. Um, yes. But I'm actually really glad you said that. <laughs> because I like, I think Gary V also says, I remember like binging Gary V before I started this podcast at the start of the pandemic. And it, he was like doing tea with Gary V every single day. And uh, like he would say every so often, like, 
the idea is that I want you to stop like listening to me and go out and do stuff. And I was like, yes. And, and I've come around to the same, and don't get me wrong. I still read a ton to procrastinate, but, but I, I, a hundred percent agree. Like you could plan or think about it to the nth degree, just carry on. It's never, ever, ever, ever going to stop. But the second you pick up your phone and make a video and start or put some content into the world or get on with whatever it is you're doing, it's like, yes, I've started. Now I just need to keep this going. And if I want to read, I can read on the side. Like, that's cool. But there's nothing in any of those books that's going to make your first video probably any better. More more important than buying a book is to open your calendar and put in time every week that's sacred. That's what I would say. In fact, if you're watching this, pick up your phone, open your computer right now. Like, open your Pick up your phone, whoever's watching. And then, oh, it's 11 11. It's a good, powerful time, oh. spiritual time. Um, see, it's a sign. So I want you to open your calendar, go to your calendar, open it, and then every week, recurring, put in two hours or however much time you have to be able to uh, make your video, post it, um, edit, uh, make your video, edit, post it, and then uh, let people know that you've posted it as well. Um, yeah, I would definitely do that right now. That's actually wonderful um i'm actually gonna do this straight after this I, I can't do it right now but like i am actually gonna put two hours in i recorded my return to youtube video like a couple of weeks ago and i just haven't found the time to sit down but in that video i'm like that's it i'm giving myself two hours every week i'm gonna do it and it's but did you schedule happen. it did you schedule no of did course you i didn't it? and that's why i haven't gone back and edited that video it keeps getting pushed back i'm like no i need to do this i need to do this so no i am going to I'll tell you what every saturday morning i hope this doesn't come to bite me on the ass between 10 and 11 that's my youtube time from now on that's happened perfect yes i, I think, like it i think that's good i think that sounds good i think that sounds very good one thing that i just wanted to say was can't remember what my bonus tip for sales was but if i remember i'm going to go to the comments and put it there so yes. that people can see that would be amazing thank you nick <laughs> um Okay, uh, I realized the time and as usual, I yammer on. Uh, one thing I just want to say before I wrap up is like, I just love the way you think and approach things and your mindset and how you just, just even the way you talk about stuff, it's just A, inspiring, B, it's just so nice to hear and, and C, it's just, it's just a great mindset on things. So Nick, I just want to say thank you for, for, for having that and, and coming and sharing it with me. So thank you. I really appreciate it. As I said, it was, it is always and has been a massive honor um, speaking with you. So thank you very much for inviting me and hopefully we can do another one in the future at some point. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was thinking about it. I was like, There's, there can definitely be a part two of this because I have so many more questions. So yes, watch this space, people. I'm going to get Nick back, I promise. Uh, but no, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. <laughs>